Welcome to our show, Calm is Hot, short for Communication is Hot. I'm your host, Jade. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Storytelling is a huge part of how humankind has communicated for centuries, and it's played a crucial role in my development, growth, successes, and magical connections on my journey of life. I believe each of us has a story to share. My goal is to create space for underrepresented voices to be able to do so and improve our communication skills so we may be the best versions of ourselves and exist in harmony. Make sure you stay tuned weekly for new episodes by yours truly and with guests. Stay in touch on Instagram at calm underscore is underscore hot. Details in the show notes below. Lastly, all content is intended for educational purposes only. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Calm is Hot. We have a very special guest joining us today, my new friend, Rachel, who I got to connect with on social media. Rachel will be discussing many topics and informing us on sexuality, communication, and sex and the sexual response cycle. So hi, Rachel. Hi, guys. Yay. We're so glad to have you. My friend. So happy to be here. Yeah. And Rachel, what are your pronouns? I use she, her pronouns. All right. Thank you. Same. Yeah, thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. My question that I love to ask every guest is, what is one way you're experiencing joy? So I've had some, a few exciting accomplishments with Peachly recently. So I decided to treat myself to dinner and a massage later. So I'm looking forward to that. That is phenomenal. Everybody deserves a nice little treat. (laughs) Nice. Now, I'm sure we're going to get into what Peachly is. Yeah, absolutely. So Peachly is a community-based adult toy retailer made for everyone with a peach and peach meaning like booty. So that means everyone and that means you. We give back to a local nonprofit every month. We select one toy that the proceeds go back to our community. And I try to give a lot of sex education resources on sex toys and sexual health and all that kind of stuff to give back to my community. I started Peach Late because I understand the difficulty in navigating sexual pleasure when physical limitations arise, like uh, painful intercourse, when navigating long-distance relationships, or when that sneaky, deep-rooted chain creeps up that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Yeah. So I created Peachly to be able to allow adults to ask questions and to find answers that typically we wouldn't really ever ask. And my mission is to be able to give them the permission to explore their sexuality and ways society never has. Yeah, our approach to sex toys ignites questions that foster connection. Questions like these. What would this toy feel like? And would it be something I would like? Would this soothe some hardships I've been experiencing in the bedroom? How could I use this toy with a partner? And am I into that? And by creating curiosity, toys create connection. So when you ask yourself, am I into that? The next question may be, how do I ask the partner if they're into that? And I really fell in love with the power of sex toys, both literally and figuratively. 
when I found that this curiosity and connection leads to confidence, confidence I can go into an interaction, knowing what makes me feel good, confidence that I'm able to communicate that then to my partner, and confidence that they felt pleasure. Oh my gosh, that's such an incredible and beautiful kind of backstory and motivation and mission. Thank you. Yes, we support Peachley here on this yes. channel. Thank you. Yeah, it's all about just like using sex toys as tools for intimacy and understanding that they are so these like funny exciting silly kind of things sometimes but they could also be like very powerful and igniting communication and curiosity within a relationship yes and that's what we are all about at calm is hot communication <laughs> so my friend let's dive in can you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do and kind of expand on some of the things yeah. So currently I am just an online shop here in the Bay. So through social media, I work to give a lot of sex education that is particularly pleasure focused. A lot of sex education resources are tend to be health and wellness focused. And as much as I love that, my kind of expertise as a sex shop owner is pleasure. So that's where I try to come from. And since I opened this shop, I've been having such a really fun time being able to connect with people on a very intimate level and giving them the space to be vulnerable and come to me with like, I'm someone who experiences a lot of bacterial infections. What lube do you recommend for me? I have never sported or I have never orgasmed. What toys do you recommend for me? And I've been loving being able to have those conversations with people and just give them space to be vulnerable and give them recommendations for things that might be able to help them out. Which we're so grateful for. I feel like so many people are nervous or feel uncomfortable talking about sex and talking about our bodies because it's such a deeply intimate, personal thing. And yeah. a lot of us, well, I'll speak for myself, I was never really raised in an environment where the norm was to talk about sex or mm -hmm. my body, let alone puberty, life changes, all of the things that we know people experience. So the fact that you create a space for people to be able to ask these uncomfortable questions, these controversial questions even, is so beautiful. I'm Thank so grateful you. you do this work. Yeah, thank you. I absolutely agree. These are very taboo conversations. And I think a lot of people's shame also comes from the fact that they don't know and they feel shame that it's even a question for them. And I always like to respond to people like, where were you? Ex like, where did you learn it? If we aren't allowed to talk about it because it's so taboo, then how are you going to put pressure on yourself if you didn't know something? If we're, we can't even bring up a simple conversation about it. That, that right there. Oh my gosh. I got a question for you that we actually got in class the other day when you came to be a guest speaker. Yes, it was so much fun. It was so much fun having you join my classes. What would you recommend for someone who is newer 
to conversations about sex and sexuality because someone might be listening in and they might be thinking, sex toys, like I'm still not even sure about my own body. <laughs> so what recommendations do you have for someone who's earlier on in their journey of exploring? Yeah, I would honestly say to start at the solo level to start with self-exploration, masturbation, and learning what makes you and your body feel good. And also learning where vulnerable, vulnerable spots are for you. I think I can speak for myself. When I was first learning what my body was like, I also realized that there were some reactions within myself that I wasn't expecting. Say like I was just touching my body and I got to my boobs and I was like, oh, like I'm just here by myself and this feels vulnerable. I feel exposed. And that's something I want to work through. But I'm so thankful that I was able to do that in the privacy of my own room. And then I can approach that with a partner later on and be like, hey, for our first few times, do you mind if I just leave my bra on, leave my panties on? I already know these spots within me that are vulnerable or these spots within me that are very pleasurable and I do want to go for. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I want, mm -hmm. if I may add, if you are at a newer stage in your journey of exploring sex itself and sexuality, mm -hmm. you do not need to move at someone else's pace. Please move at your own pace. Go as slow as you need to and ease into this. And there are so many ways that you can experience pleasure with someone else and even with yourself first. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned touching different parts of your body. Get to know your body. Yes. I love that. <laughs> it can be really, really empowering and doing it in a safer way can really help you, I think, in the future. So thanks for sharing that. And yes, also, absolutely. And also being vulnerable. Yes. Yay. Now, a follow-up question I have is also similar to what we discussed in classes. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe for someone who's a little bit more prepared to mm -hmm. go into sex or just being intimate with a partner or someone new or someone they're getting to know. What are, what's one of the things that you kind of use as a foundation, like the theory foundation mm -hmm. to help people navigate those experiences? Yeah. So something we talked a quite a bit about yesterday and was kind of the foundation of the whole conversation when I was coming into these classes to talk about sex is I explained the sexual response cycle models. Specifically, we focus on one by William Masters and Virginia Johnson, which was developed in the 1950s. There has since been some models that came out uh, that are approach sexuality in other ways and maybe some more modern ways. However, the William Masters and Johnson model is still, it's a very easy model to understand. So that's the one I chose to go with. One thing that was very interesting about their research when they were first developing this model is that they first actually didn't know where to find participants. So it's such a taboo topic that they had no idea where to find participants. So they actually went to brothels and they approached sex workers and they used sex workers as their first participants, which is something we would not see in research today. And so I found that very interesting when I was researching for these talks. 
So the four phases that they came up with are excitement or desire is the first phase. This is a phase where you are starting to think about sexual pleasure, the idea is starting to go through your mind, and your body is starting to respond a little bit. Maybe your blood is starting to flow a little faster, your heart's starting to beat, to beat a little bit. The next stage is plateau or excitement. This is when maybe foreplay is happening. This is maybe when you're starting to like touch each other's bodies or kissing. And basically the phases from excitement, or I'm sorry, the, the changes that are happening strictly in your body from excitement, they're just becoming more and more intense. Uh, the next stage is orgasm, which is the climax. And here, I mean, here your body is going to be going through a lot of changes. Your muscles are going to be tensing up. You're going to be releasing a lot of hormones. Your body maybe start twitching. And there's just this intense feeling of pleasure within your body. And then the last phase is resolution. So resolution is kind of the aftermath of the orgasm. And it's kind of the come down from everything. Yeah. Ooh, I love this. The sexual response cycle, having those four stages. And I love those breakdowns. My friends, can we expand on each of them? <laughs> Maybe you could provide some examples of what those four stages could feel like or be like for some people. Yeah. So going through these phases, the first one is excitement or desire. So what I want to talk about here is spontaneous desire versus responsive desire. There is a very popular sex educator named, I, I might butcher this name, I'm so sorry, but I think it's Emily Nijowski, who is a very well-respected sex educator. And she talks about spontaneous versus responsive desire in a, such a great way. So I'll explain it kind of how she does. So... Uh, the first model of desire. So say you've been dating this person for a little while now and you guys are chilling on the couch, watching a movie and they, your partner scoots next to you and they start massaging on your earlobe. Then you're like, mm, do more of that. And then they start nibbling on your earlobe and your brain says, I want to have sex. I wasn't thinking about this before, but now I want to have it. So that is responsive desire and that is healthy and that is normal. But it's not what we were taught sexual desire is supposed to look like. What we were taught is that suddenly your brain is like, I want to have sex. And then that sexy thought runs through your body and your genitals, both blood and you self-lubricate and you live happily ever after. And that is spontaneous desire. And it does happen. It's perfectly normal and healthy too. But I think the problem is, is that when the honeymoon phase of a relationship wears off, that like phase when you like can't get your hands off each other at the beginning of a relationship, when that phase wears off, the novelty and the newness of a relationship wears off too. And that spontaneous desire starts to occur less and less. And then we're left feeling broken. We're left feeling like a partner doesn't find us sex anymore because we're just waiting on that spontaneous desire. And it's something I want to touch on today because many of us aren't taught about responsive desire or how to create responsive desire. And it can get us into some trouble once we're in long-term relationships and that the frequency of the spontaneous desire starts declining. Oh, okay. Just to touch back very quickly, I love that you kind of 
bring up the idea of consent when the partner begins to nibble on the ear and then there's <laughs> oh i like this let's do more right. <laughs> well, i do like gotta, gotta throw on consent in little sexy ways wherever you can yes we're gonna dive into consent later on don't worry <laughs> i love that you mentioned that now this responsive desire to me feels like so healthy and normal and a beautiful way to kind of feel connected with someone who you care about. And I am kind of bummed that we're not taught more about it or that there isn't more emphasis on it, especially because being spontaneous, oh my gosh, if you're in a long-term relationship, if you are I think most relationships have about a two-year honeymoon phase for like long-term relationships. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. After about two, the first two years, you get to know each other. You learn <laughs> more about each other. And sometimes you can lose that little spark mm -hmm. around that two-year mark. Mm -hmm. For some people, this, is, this could be life-changing advice. Like, mm -hmm. don't always rely on the spontaneity, but also build this responsive desire with your partner yeah thank you so much for sharing this and absolutely and i also want to point out that sometimes people think that at the beginning of their relationship it was all spontaneous desire but if you really think about it when you used to get ready for a date you used to do all these little rituals you had to get ready for this date and you were just already thinking about sex and getting ready for it, each of you so then when you came together, uh, the sparks were already flying, as you will. And that starts to occur less as people are in relationships. So maybe what we think of as a like fun, spontaneous sex wasn't as spontaneous because you kind of already planned it. You might have already known it was going to happen. Yeah. So then what happens when, let's say, years later, you might be living together and mm -hmm. there's less of a like, oh, I'm going to go see this person or... Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, I'm, we have like, whatever. I think that's also why some people recommend couples do date night still mm -hmm. to have yeah. something to get excited about. Oh, sorry. No, I was just absolutely agreeing. Planning, planning a date night, even just planning sex. Um, like, I don't want to throw my partner in here, but I often tell my partner like, Hey, do you want to have sex later? Like even just planning it within later in the day and making sure within our very busy schedules. We get it in and prioritize it, and we let each other know that it's important to us. Even to just sneak it in, in between our schedules, it really helps keep our relationship healthy And yeah, when it comes to sex and letting each other know it's still a priority. That's so beautiful to hear. Thank you for sharing. Can you maybe provide a few more examples of the ways that people could build and work towards responsive desire? Yeah, I think that is, I'm oh, sorry. So an, one idea that I have is sexting, planning your night out that way. Like, what do you think about bringing out the vibrators when we get home or telling each other fantasies? Also things like foreplay. Once you're sitting on the couch and you start nibbling on someone's ear, something like that, putting their hand uh, or putting your hand on their thigh, little things like that that are like, hmm, I think I know what you're thinking about. <laughs> Yes, I love this. And I also, for me personally, in my previous relationship, feel like I never wanted to stop 
flirting. I never wanted to stop being flirtatious with my partner because I feel like that keeps a fun energy, like a fun kind of open-ended build that list yeah. of desire. So thank you for providing some examples for people who this might be newer, a newer concept too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's the next part of the phase? Ooh, okay. Let's see. A plateau. So plateau is where maybe you're start. What, what it might look like is maybe you're starting to get a little physical, but w- the goal is not quite yet orgasm. So typically this is where foreplay would be happening. So a traditional definition of foreplay may be any sexual activity that happens before penetrative intercourse. However, I want to challenge that because I want to challenge our idea of what sex is. Sex isn't always just penetrative intercourse. So a definition that I like to use is that foreplay is any intimate activity that gets the body and brain primed for orgasm during the sexual encounter. So primed for orgasm because just like we learned, what happens in the plateau stage comes right before orgasm. So any activity where the goal is not quite orgasm, but we're getting, we're, we're starting to feel good. We're starting to feel loose. All those things that could get us in the mindset of orgasm and get our bodies ready for orgasm. I love this. I feel like there are so many benefits to foreplay. So many beautiful ways that people can experience foreplay and also use it to learn about what they're comfortable with and especially build a closer connection with their partner or whoever they're foreplaying with. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. So what are some ways that people can engage in foreplay? Yeah. So just like I said before, texting, telling each other fantasies. Those are kind of like verbal ways of foreplay. Reminding each other of this one wild time you had together kissing, making out, slowly touching each other with your hands, with vibrators, with toys. But the intention is not exactly orgasm in that moment. So it may not be as intense or there may be a way that always gets your partner to orgasm or typically gets your partner to orgasm. We're going to want to avoid that kind of touch in this moment. Maybe massages, maybe adding a blindfold for just some sensation play. So one idea I've heard is putting an ice cube in your mouth. And then using your mouth to kind of go around their body and the warmness of your lips feels really good on your body, especially when it's in contrast to that cold ice cube that's in your mouth and the water starts like melting. It sounds really fun now. (laughs) I Right? Doesn't that sound so fun? I'm going to go grab an ice cube later tonight. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Things like that, where it's just you're, you're adding sensation to each other's bodies and you're starting to get into your bodies. Yes. Yes. I love this. I met someone in college who was really into tickling, like as a fetish, like the Mm -hmm. number one thing they wanted me to do to them was just like use a feather duster and just like tickle them. It was the easiest (laughs) fun thing ever because like they were literally laughing, having fun. And I oh my God, was so fun. Yeah, I could be sitting on the couch watching a show and just be like. <laughs> Seriously, I would probably kick someone if they tried to tickle me during sex. I would be like, yeah, no. 
Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. I'd be like, <laughs> like, I, yeah, not, it's not my fetish. I'll try. <laughs> so we've got some really great ideas for foreplay. Thank you so much for those. And I'm interested in now moving to the next phase. Yes, orgasm. So there's a few things I want to touch on in orgasm. And the first one is just to highlight the orgasm gap. So the orgasm gap is the gap between how often women are having orgasms during sex compared to how often men are having orgasms during sex. And this happens at a higher rate in heterosexual couples than it does in queer couples. So one study of college students found that 91% of men and only 39% of women always or usually orgasm during sexual encounters. And that is in college students. Sorry, I was going with that. But yeah. Yeah. And so there was a gap, like I mentioned before, we find it to be a bigger gap in heterosexual couples or heterosexual sexual encounters than we do in queer encounters. And what's interesting is this gap is much smaller specifically in lesbian women. And some things we know about lesbian couples is that many of them include oral and use of toys on a regular basis, and their concentration tends to be on the clitoris, not penetration. Mm. Would you yeah. say that's one of the like kind of theories for why there's a higher likelihood of lesbians having successful rates of orgasms in comparison to hetero partners? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's still a big, I guess I'll call it a myth, that many vulva owners will be able to orgasm from penetration alone. And many people don't realize that this is actually very uncommon. And most most vulva owners are going to need clitoral stimulation as well to be able to reach an orgasm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of the other theories that I've heard or that I've thought of are that we're taught that penetration alone should be sufficient for orgasm, and it's typically not. We're also taught that sex ends after a man orgasms. We're taught that women's orgasms are important. They're too difficult. They take too much time. And that a woman should be feeling shamed for asking for their pleasure to be prioritized as well. These are all really difficult things that I'm so proud of you for addressing and for wanting to educate people about and move away from. And when we move away from college, do we see statistics improve or data improve at all? Yeah, so for some, through some studies, we do see this start to improve. However, the improvement is not too drastic. So another study of adult individuals says that heterosexual men say they orgasm 95% of the time, whereas heterosexual women say they are orgasming 65% of the time. So there is a, a good increase. However, the gap is still fairly large. Oh, man. yeah. God. And what so... so what I want to do is to educate people about this orgasm gap because I think it's we could have a much smaller gap if we were just to be educated on the function of the clitoris. Um, from what we know right now, the clitoris's only job is pleasure. 
And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And so lowering this gap for some people could mean something as simple as adding a vibrator to their clitoris, even while pen having penetration. A small vibrator could be enough to help both partners have orgasms during sex and during sexual encounters. Wow. Yes. Yes. We need to close the gap and we need to educate yes. about the clitoris. Yes, absolutely. I was so, it was so crazy to learn that the only function the clitoris that we can find is pleasure and is orgasm. Yeah. And why is that not taught? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the clitoris isn't even in some medical textbook still. When we're studying anatomy, it is still not in some textbooks. They just completely forget to put it in or something, or they purposely don't put it in. I don't know, but I still hear this from medical students. That to me is a huge failure. That's a systemic example of one could argue sexism and just absolutely only focused on penis owners slash men's pleasure. It's just, mm -hmm. thanks yeah. for insight. Absolutely. Now, what about the next phase in the response cycle? Yeah, so this one is resolution. So resolution, to me, what would be happening here is aftercare. So aftercare is an idea that comes from the kink or BDSM communities. That's where the idea stems from. So after you've had an intense kink, BDSM, or just intense sexual experience at all, the idea is to nurture each other or nurture yourself in ways that can help you come down from the experience. So some ideas are, say, taking a bath together. Or I'm sorry, I should kind of explain that a little bit. So sometimes, say it's in a hookup, and say that you just want this to stay purely a hookup, and you don't want to, want to have emotional attachment, and that's your goal. So aftercare could still be something that you do individually. So say doing baths on your own, doing this little self-care routine where you put on a face mask and you do your nails and all that kind of stuff. You can do that with your partner or you can do it alone. Cuddling. If you're with a partner, that is considered aftercare. Just talking to each other after you had sex. That time, if you're with a partner and it's your desire to use sex as a way to stay connected and to be connected, that time is so important not only emotionally, but also your hormones. You have a lot of hormones going on in your body, like a lot of serotonin, dopamine were just released, and oxytocin, and all those hormones can help you guys bond even more. That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. I am a proud part of the Kink and BDSM community. And mm -hmm. for me, aftercare is so important. And mm -hmm. I that you mentioned that you can do it solo. And mm -hmm. then also do it with a partner or partners to also have an opportunity just to expand, give feedback on mm -hmm. if you really liked this or what it was fun trying this next time. Can we do less of it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to give your partner encouragement, like I really liked this one thing that can make them feel so good and like feel happy that they were able to give you pleasure because ultimately like that's what partnered experiences should be the idea that you care about if the other person is enjoying themselves yeah yeah 
Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Yeah. You've covered so many beautiful elements and expanded by giving awesome examples to the experiences that someone could have sexually. Now, because this is a four-stage model, does it kind of function like that? Do, do we as humans go into a sexual experience and go through the stages in that order or can it vary? Yeah, I think it's kind of one of the disadvantages or kind of downfalls of this model is if you're just taught it without expanding more on it, you may think that experiences of sex are just like step, 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 step right? And they just always go simple, easy in that order. However, that's not the case where humans are so much more complex than just what happens on a graph, right? So no, reality of a sexual experience isn't going to happen in just some simple linear steps. And it can be messy. And sometimes there are going to be lacks of orgasm for all people. We could be experiencing performance anxiety, which could cause a penis owner to not be able to get an erection, which totally happens. There could be erectile dysfunction, which is another reason a penis owner wouldn't be able to have an orgasm. And that totally happens. Sometimes uh, our mindsets are just not ready. Maybe we're really stressed out about something and we're just not able to have an orgasm. And that totally happens and that's totally normal. So it's not always as simple as like, oh, I'm just going to go through this space. I want to have an orgasm. And then it's going to be plain and simple. And the reality is sex is complex and sex is play and funny things are going to happen. And yeah, it is just experience and and it's important just to go in with a mindset that this experience is going to be unique and I'm going to be open to what happens within it. I love that. And I love that you brought up that funny things can happen. (laughs) Uncomfortable things could happen during sex. And it's so important for us to shift away from the male gaze which is the idea that we need to be focused on our performance and we need to be focused on how we look and worried about whether or not we're comparing ourselves to hot porn stars who do this for a living at some time. And that can be, it can be a great way to learn about things like Mm -hmm. try and be like, Ooh, I want to try that. I saw that in a, right. Learn fetishes, learn kinks. Yeah, but when it comes to the act of intimacy, we've really got to shift away from thinking about like how we look, how worried we are about how well we're doing, and instead mm-hmm. just focus on feeling pleasure. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add that thing. Absolutely, yeah. Like we mentioned yesterday, I think the student sounded kind of funny when we were like, so what happens when you're having sex and you accidentally fart? And they were like, this is uncomfortable. We're like, just laugh it off. It's just playful. It's okay. And sex, like, is literally messy. Like, it is a messy act to do. And sometimes you're not going to be in control of all your bodily functions that go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is 100% true. Absolutely. My friend, you are literally giving so much great insight into the experience of sex and intimacy. Can we talk a little bit about boundaries? Yes, absolutely. 
So a discussion of boundaries would typically, if we're still following this cycle, this model, it would happen in the desire phase where we're starting to get physically intimate, or at least at the beginning of when we're starting to get physically intimate. So a discussion of boundaries can be fairly vague, as in, like, how far do you want to go? That's a good question. But the thing is, you want to be open to the response and open to the conversation that then follows a vague question like that. Or you can be direct. You can say, like, it'd be hot if you massage my nipples, but right now I don't really feel comfortable with you, like, putting your mouth near them or licking them. You can be directing your questions and say, like, do you want to have any type of oral today? And just be open to the response that a partner is going to give. I love that. So I'm all about communication. And I love that you've presented us with different methods and ways to approach this topic of boundaries. One being asking those open-ended questions, letting your partner explain what they want or how far Mm -hmm. they want to go or what are your likes, what are your dislikes, et cetera. And then also being direct and communicating those boundaries explicitly Mm -hmm. clear hey, I'm not in the mood for, let's say, oral sex tonight or mm-hmm. not in the mood for this certain part of my body being touched or I don't want a hickey because I don't want to have to deal with it at work the next day. Right, absolutely. I never thought to say that and I've always thought about it. Never thought to actually put it in the discussion though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people like to kiss the neck area in uh-huh. my <laughs> and I'm like, that's fine, but I bruise easily because I know my body. Mm-hmm. You stay there for like literally more than 30 seconds. <laughs> I get slut shamed the next day. So right. that's what it. That's not- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So moving from boundaries, what about consent? Yeah. So consent, in my opinion, is still a fairly complex topic. And it does have a lot of gray areas. And I think one of the reasons for this is that it's still a new topic going into the mainstream. It's still something we're learning how to implement into different aspects of our lives. A conversation I see now is like, should we let our children know if they don't want to hug a family member, they don't have to. And this is still a conversation that's fairly new. And people are finding a lot of gray area in it. And that's okay. I would say that that's an excellent example of how to have conversations with younger people specifically Mm -hmm. kids regarding consent in an age-appropriate way Mm -hmm. i think a lot of the times people weaponize the work that you do and also that i also do Mm -hmm. to be like evil and like corrupting they like there's a lot of religious (laughs) these sex educators want to corrupt the kids Mm-hmm. no we just want to teach them at an early age that when they say no to someone that no means no right Absolutely. it's age appropriate like come on right <laughs> i know well to just throw on a quick thing i always also hear with that don't say gay bill that just went in in florida and they're like well if they teach homosexuality and that means they're te- teaching sex to our children and i was like I'm sorry, queerness and explicit content are not one in the same. And I just, I think that, oh, it's almost like they have a misconception of what age-appropriate education is. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. They think it's gonna it just yeah. Yeah. And then we don't want to get too far. I think we like, go on forever. <laughs> you and I are educators. We're responsible. We're having responsible, age appropriate conversations with people. And mm-hmm. I really respect you and admire you. And I wanted to make that very clear. I'm listen, the same. Like, I'm not teaching all this crazy stuff to kids. No. Like, uh, please. I wish that someone would have told me as a kid that I didn't have to hug all of my relatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And in my culture, there's a side side cheek pra- uh, side side mm-hmm. cheek kissing practice. And when you're a kid, maybe you don't want all the relatives coming up kissing on your face. Yeah. Like, I absolutely. Anywho, I'll I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. There's still ways to teach people, and in my opinion, a lot of the stuff I know about consent is that I read it from books that are more designed for teenagers, for children, because I understand that this is a conversation that is still new to me, and I need the most basic foundation of this still. And I think we all do, so that is totally okay to be learning it from the bottom up, because even as adults, we weren't taught it, so I don't even know the most basic things. So at this point, I read a lot of books on consent and relationships that are designed for teenagers yeah that makes total sense it's and like you said it's a newer mainstreamed topic that wasn't always around and i think we should expand on it beyond just yes means yes no means no it's so much more Absolutely. complex yeah Oh my gosh, thanks. What's one of the things that you've learned in doing all that research about consent that you think someone might benefit learning or might not know? Yeah, I would say probably ongoing consent is the biggest thing I learned. First, I'll explain ongoing consent without like a little system. And then I'll explain a little system that makes ongoing consent really easy. So the first thing I want to touch on it, that idea of ongoing consent. I think a lot of people think it's going to be so awkward and like a big deal because they think like, oh, you need to stop everything you're doing and say, hold on, I need to check in with you. Are you doing okay? Are you feeling okay? All that kind of stuff. And I don't think it needs to be all of that. It can just be simply taking the quickest pause and being like, hey, how are you doing? Like, are you having fun? Are you enjoying what I'm doing right now? Like, does that feel good to you? It could be really simple, simple questions. And then you can just get going or you can take a moment to pause if the reaction is like, hey, let's try a different position. Just go off what they say. And then the second thing I want to talk about is a really simple system. The system is called the light system. So just like a traffic light, you have the green, the yellow, the red. So green in this instance means go. I'm loving it and keep going. Yellow means I need to slow down and let's proceed with caution. Maybe check in with me a little more often, uh, but let's keep going with what we're doing. And then red means stop. Just like a safe word, it means stop. I need immediate pause. I need you to check in with me or I need the session to stop altogether. And either partner could ask the other person, what color are you at? Or the other person can just give a color. So you can just be like, hey, yellow. And then the person automatically knows what that means. And that was the only thing you needed to say. I love that. I don't think I've, no one's ever taught me the traffic light system. Like, and 
on the importance of ongoing consent. Mm-hmm. So just because we agreed to this an hour ago doesn't mean I'm okay with maybe you throwing in something new or mm-hmm. some people do treat sex like a performance. And I think my worst sexual encounters have been when people have attempted to do a bunch of different positions. <laughs> They'll be doing one position for like a few minutes and then as soon as I get comfortable in it, boom, they're mm-hmm. trying to do another position. And I'm mm-hmm. like, like, we're not filming this for a productive. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just enjoy myself. And I wish, I wish I would have known that I could be like, red light. No, no. Like, let's, let's stay in this current position. This is where yeah. I'm happy. This is green light. This is green light position. <laughs> Like instead of saying like yes, 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 you like great, great, great. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you so much for giving us these tools. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And also the use of of consent by using safe words. Do you want to say more about safe words and that? Yeah, absolutely. So safe words are words that also come from the kink and BDSM community, although they're so helpful in the mainstream as well. No matter what kind of sexual interaction you are participating in. So safe words are like code words that you and your partner are going to decide on prior to becoming physically intimate. And when someone calls a safe word during the sexual interaction, it means I need you to have immediate pause. I need you to check in with me or I need this session to stop altogether. And safe words are predetermined and they can be any word you and your partner want to decide on. So typically they're words that you wouldn't say during sex like maybe like purple octopus or some other crazy word. And if purple octopus is something that you're into, don't decide on that word because I'm not judging you. You do you. (laughs) But choose a word that you wouldn't typically say within you and your partner's interaction. And that's the word that you would call out. However, some people don't like saying ridiculous things because it makes them feel ridiculous. So words such as red could also be used just so that you call out something that is comfortable for you. I love that. Now, what about for people who may not be able to communicate verbally? In that instance, I would suggest a safe signal. So a safe signal, say there is an accessibility thing that you can't verbally communicate a safe word or you're playing with toys such as a ball gag or you can't say anything. Your, Your mouth is literally not able to move. In that instance, a safe signal, maybe like jazz hands or three taps on the back of their hand, something like that is going to be used just as a safe word. It's going to notify your partner, I need a pause. I need to take off this ball gag immediately if that's the case, or you need to stop to the session, just like a safe word would be. Nice. Safe words and safe signals. Let's start using them more often. (laughs) Yeah. Now, as we come to a close, do you have any final thoughts, anything that you want to expand on that we've already discussed or just anything quickly that you want to make sure we cover? I thought something that was very interesting in doing some research is that many people don't realize how many types of orgasms there are. And I think it's so fun to learn. So there are seven types of orgasm. And Seven types of orgasm to me just means that there's so much more to sex to play with and to explore than just penetration. And although penetration is awesome for some people and it's amazing, 
there's so much to explore. There are seven ways to get orgasm and not all of them are from penetration. So there's just so many things to, to, to really explore about your bodies. Mm, I love that. Let's shift away from intercourse being always the end all be all goal. Mm -hmm. Like if there are seven other ways to have orgasms, that also opens up so much accessibility for people mm -hmm. who may not be able to engage in intercourse. And also, I would argue that's way more inclusive for many more types of sexuality. It's just, it's really open for more people and it's moving away from just that traditional like man, woman. Yes, absolutely. So not that there's anything wrong with that, but just no. there, there's more. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Oh my gosh. I am definitely just loving this conversation and I yeah. don't want it to end. I know, right? Unfortunately, I know we can't both just talk forever in this moment. Yeah. So as we wrap up, how can people get a hold of you? A little bit about just your contact info <laughs> so that people can maybe follow up and ask you questions if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. So Instagram is what I'm most active on. So my Instagram handle is peachly, spelled just like peach, and then L-Y underscore X. And then my website is peachlyshop.com. That's where you, there is an email link to me if you wanted to email me or, or you can shop for any sex toys or sex products. Yay. So proud of you. So grateful you. for you. Please keep doing the work and the education that you're doing and providing people with better sexual experiences. Thank you so much for today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I've loved this conversation. I've also loved having this conversation with some of the students we were able to talk to yesterday. So it's just been so fun and I'm so grateful for this opportunity and I'm grateful for the shop for allowing me this opportunity. Yay. Well, you did that. <laughs> this woman. <laughs> yeah thank you thanks rachel okay thank you